0: Greetings, my good people. How are you? What is happening? What is going on? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well as we kick off a new day, a new week, and even a new month. We've now turned the calendar to March, which means we're that much more closer to the tournament, that much more closer to the opening day, and everything that's going to bloom and blossom here throughout the course of this month. You've come to the right place to listen to it all, here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, Welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now, 116 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, March the 2nd, in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels, what's the deal segment? That's right. What's going to be percolating here over the course of roughly the next hour here on the podcast? Well, it goes as follows. College basketball certainly becoming a lot more interesting here as of late, as you've had more top seeds fall by the wayside. We'll touch on all of that later on in the podcast, as well as what's happening in the NBA Lots going on between this Giannis and Harden back and forth, which to me is nonsense, but I have to throw in my two cents about that and everything that's happening on the hardwood. We'll talk about what's going on in the ice, especially with the Islanders a little bit. They made a big trade last week, which a lot of people thought was a little risky, including myself, so you'll get my take on that. I understand it's been a week later, but the Islanders certainly have not played well since then, so we'll take a look at the NHL landscape. We'll also look at the XFL a little bit as I was out in MetLife Checking out the Guardians as they even their record to 2-2 two and two and just take a little perspective of what's happening there with the league just from whispers. Also what's going on in the NFL. The Combine is over and done with, which I didn't really pay any attention to with 40 times and bench presses with the punter I know was a big deal. But the free agent hype machine will start to begin as you'll get my take on that later on. Also my hero in Zero of the Week and another platform that I'm going to be using later on. You certainly don't want to miss out on that. That I have another extension of the J-Reels podcast that I'm bringing to the masses. So you'll certainly be in tune with that. But I want to start off the program by saying yesterday was the two-year anniversary of this podcast. If you go back into the archives, well, way back. I'm talking about zero zero, not even the very first episode because I called it the Maiden Voyage. And I understand on certain platforms, I don't believe you could get it on iTunes or even on my website right now. At JReels.com, of course. Because... Those two platforms in particular, I believe it only captures the last 100 podcasts. So if you go to, I believe, Spreaker or Stitcher, and later on this day, after I post this podcast, I would say maybe during your rush hour on the way home, depending on where you live, I'll put a link to the very first podcast just to give you an idea of as to who I am. For those who are listening for the very first time or have been around just for a few episodes, Pretty much my purpose for this podcast, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that would be a pretty interesting introduction to some people who are just tuning into what it is to have to say about what's going on in the world of sports. So definitely keep an eye out for that. But the reason why I'm bringing this up now, it's not because it's the two year anniversary. It's because I want to thank you guys for sticking with me. For those who have been with me, whether it's from day one or somewhere in between these 116 episodes, I certainly come with you with gratitude. Just uh, many thanks. As I like to say, thank you twice more than once. And please keep sharing the podcast with many others out there who love sports, like sports, a casual sports fan, a diehard, whatever it may be. Because as we all know, as I say week in and week out, I'm an independent entity here. It's a one man show, one man operation. So not only am I hosting this, but I'm also writing it, editing it, posting everything on social media by myself. No interns. I don't have anybody below me that's doing all this legwork. And also on top of that, I'm trying to get guests, and I'm hoping to get a second year anniversary, although it's going to be belated, but to have that guest here to be a part of the program, to usher in two years, and hopefully many, many more with the Lord's will. So without further ado, people, I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for supporting me, for supporting the podcast. Please continue to do so, take screenshots, send it to your friends, send it to me, I'll tag you or tag me, whatever it is. As uh continue to deliver everything that's going on in the world of sports as long as the good Lord has me here on his beautiful earth. Alright, so now let's turn our attention to some sports here. And we'll start off with the NBA as it's starting to pick up a little bit when you look at the last week. I know the news and notes from a standpoint of off the court with especially Giannis and James Harden that I'm not going to say it was front and center. But when you look at two giants of the game and two of the top five players as of right now, and Giannis, who's on his way to winning another MVP, let's face it, yesterday in that game, what did he have? 40, 20, and five, I think it was, and he did it in like 35 minutes. It's almost as if the game is becoming too easy for this guy. And of course, with his name being the Greek freak, he's certainly displaying that on both ends of the floor. And we understand that for the NBA fan who looks at Giannis, whether you're a Buck fan, a Giannis fan or not. The bottom line is we need to see this in a seven-game series. But a seven-game series, that's going to really matter. Not the first round, if they play Orlando. Maybe not even the second round. But as you get deeper into the postseason, as we saw last year, and we've recounted time and time again, he's going to need to take his team home, at least to an NBA championship. If not, it's going to be an epic failure. Now, there's still plenty of time between now and then. We're certainly not going to get into any predictions or proclamations on, oh, what the Bucks are going to do between here and then, because it would be a disgrace. And I'm sure there's going to be somewhere on this podcast platform, not here, but somewhere else or on TV, radio, that's going to come out and say, well, Giannis is going to win because of this, and it's only March 2nd. Can we let the games play? Can we just let time pass and see how this all unfolds before we start making silly proclamations, before we start making these dumb predictions that certainly aren't going to come true? I get everybody wants to get the hot take. I get everybody wants to be the first to have this particular angle as far as the Bucks and especially Giannis because for what he's done so far this year and even going back to last year with his MVP season, the Bucks right now are looking like a formidable opponent, not only just for anybody, which, of course, if you've been hiding under rock, you, you certainly have missed out, and for those are paying attention, you're watching it right before your very eyes. But we all know that come May and into June, we're going to need to see this dominance that he's certainly performed here at a high level over the course of the four and a half months or however long it's been since the start of the season and have that translate to not only a Finals appearance, but hopefully an NBA Finals victory and more than likely an MVP. But that's between now and then. As far as the situation with Harden is concerned, I know Giannis had made a statement during that NBA draft with him and LeBron where he had an opportunity to draft James Harden and he made the, is it a backhanded statement or comment for him to come out and say, hey, I'm looking for someone to pass. And as we all know from the likes of one James Harden, he's certainly going to want to chuck threes all day and night. And then Harden this week during an interview, I believe, with Rachel Nichols came out and said that, well, it's easy to be seven feet and dunk a basketball, that it doesn't take much skill. I'd rather learn, play the game the right way instead of doing that. And I'm paraphrasing here. Well, for Harden to come out, and granted, he's been an MVP. He's been a top player. We understand that. And listen, if you don't like the Rockets, I'm not a Rocket fan, and I'm not a big Harden fan either, but I have to call it like I see it despite the fact that he's been dominant and he's had these stretches where he's had all these 50-point games and he's been a 38-point-plus game scorer over the course of the majority of this season. But the one thing that Harden fails to remember is that for him to try to talk down to another player, a guy of his ilk, and what I mean by that, they're two different players altogether, but they're both MVPs, they're both top players in the sport. What is that going to do? What is that going to – what is the purpose of him trying to throw a dagger across the bow considering that Giannis threw a slight little indirect toward him? Now, I'm not going to say that that's Harden's character, that's typical, the beard, whatever you want to call it. No, but he just needs to pipe down. He just needs to look at that and say, all right, if he wants to say that, fine. I know how my game plays. I know how my game translates, whatever. I don't need to explain that to anybody. If he would have said that and let it, left it alone, that would have been fine. But no, he had to say he's seven feet, he dunked some basketball. Harden should know better considering he's been in the league a lot longer than Giannis has been. And I feel that what Giannis said, is there some truth to it? There absolutely is, despite the fact that Harden can come out and say, well, hey, I average whatever, eight assists a game, so on and so forth. But we all know he takes a zillion shots and a million threes. So it's not as if he's scoring you know 50 points on 18 baskets and I understand he gets to the free throw line a lot, et cetera. but still, you know, whether Harden's just bringing attention to himself, or he's just trying to get at Giannis, or try to get under his skin a little bit, and Giannis, from what we've seen so far, he's a type of guy that certainly holds himself accountable, and obviously wants to outwork everybody else to the point of not only being the best player in the league, which he's already shown, but also being the best team, and hopefully holding that trophy at the end of the day. Now, everybody knows I'm a Celtic fan, so it's not as if I'm clamoring for Giannis, or for the Bucks or anything like that, but... It just doesn't sit right with me doing this behind the microphone to know that one MVP is going to go after another, considering the way that statement was brought, and I understand I'm not James Harden, but considering that that statement that Giannis made was innocuous. It wasn't anything to really look at and say, oh, geez, he's going to come at me like that, then I'm going to fire back at him. So Harden needs to chill out a little bit, despite the fact that their team has been playing well, especially since they've gone small ball, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the Giannis Harden thing would be interesting from this regard. If both teams do play against one another in an NBA final, of course they already set the stage as far as juicy storylines, drama, whatever you want to call it. But again, that is a long way down the road. Who knows if the Rockets are going to get there considering the opponents out west. And despite the fact that they've been playing well here, there's a long time between now and then to even think about a possible Houston Rockets-Milwaukee Bucks NBA final matchup. So that was the one thing that just made me raise an eyebrow, just wondering why Harden did that. And, eh, I don't know. and I just figured I'd start with that only because the Bucks have been just red hot. And as I've said last week, and I'll say time and time again, it is NBA Finals are bust. And I'm talking about victory. And we get that if they go up against the Lakers or the Clippers, especially those two teams in particular, and more so even the Lakers, the Bucks have had a season... That they're on the course of winning 70 games. Are they going to do it? I don't think so. They're probably full short. They may be a 68 14, maybe even 69 13 type of season. But when you have that type of year, when you're reaching the high 60s, close to 70, I mean, just ask the Golden State Warriors. They win 73, and we all know what happened up three games to one, and they lose in seven to LeBron and the Cavaliers. So to me, getting to the NBA regular season. Top of the mountain, and for them to just breeze through those first two rounds, they're going to have to not only gut out whatever that conference final is going to be against whomever, and then whether it is LeBron or Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, if it's them against the the Clippers in an NBA final, he's going to have to do whatever it takes. And we've seen it last year; teams are going to defend them differently. When it gets to the postseason, obviously the familiarity of watching a player over the course of a week and a half, two weeks, being able to slow them down, exploit their weaknesses. Obviously, you don't want to get Giannis in transition. You want to keep him out in the perimeter if possible. You're going to have that wall of people, two or three bodies to try to slow him down or try to physically. Now, the game is much different because it's not like the 90s where you're going to throw Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley and guys like that where you're just going to not only build that proverbial wall, but also hack him in the process and get him off his game and get him into his, deep into his mentals and psychological well-being. But the Bucs, this is uh, going to be it for them. This is a year where they certainly not only have to make a final, but uh, certainly win considering what they're doing, going to astronomic levels here in this NBA regular season. And before we go through the NBA, real quick, a couple of things I want to touch on. I know LeBron had an interesting weekend as he split in Memphis and New Orleans, going up against the top two picks this year in a one John Morant on Saturday and last night against Zion Williamson. Now, the Pelicans played the Lakers earlier in the week out in L.A., so we got a little bit of a taste of LeBron and Zion, which a lot of the – and again, I get that people want to dredge up stupid storylines the whole LeBron's rookie season to Zion's rookie season. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But LeBron's certainly heaping a lot of praise on these two guys. John Morant, who had just a phenomenal game there on Saturday night as Memphis wins. And of course, throwing a lot of bouquets at Ja's game. Being just a factor and a force on a Memphis team that's certainly been feisty here. And looking to make an 8th seed in the Western Conference. And then last night, with 35 points for Zion Williamson, which is a career high, but certainly was not to outstage LeBron's triple-double as the Lakers win 122-114. to saying that the league is in great hands, had a moment there at half court after the game. Of course, not much was revealed as far as what did he say to the young fella, but certainly pretty much what he said was, I want to lay the foundation for these guys that if they ever need to come to me for advice or for just an ear, whatever it may be, that he's going to be there and pass that along to a lot of these guys that are certainly going to be the pillars of this league for years to come, which is typical LeBron. And you got to give him props for that and kudos to him as far as wanting to Extend to the younger guys in this league knowing that a lot of these guys that are playing in the league now have looked up to him and him being this superstar of the generation. Now, I'm going to start with the whole Ja Morant and Zion Williamson Rookie of the Year. To me, it is no doubt about it that Ja Morant is Rookie of the Year. So for anybody who's going to look at Zion, and he can play all the games from here on out, but he just doesn't have enough body of work that Ja Morant does And that's not to knock Zion Williamson because he was hurt for the first, whatever, three months of the season. But to all of a sudden think that Zion is going to be in this race to be the rookie of the year, you got to be off your rocker. And for somebody to come at anyone with that particular take, I don't care if it's on TV, on some of these cable networks or other podcasts, but, and we get it's clickbait material, but You don't want to be the first one to come out to say, oh, well, I think Zion, because he's been that much more dominant, and look, his team may still make the playoffs, and even if they make the playoffs, he should definitely be the Rookie of the Year. Even if they do make the playoffs, I don't think Zion Williamson should be Rookie of the Year, unless he's averaging 50 points a game, which we know that's not going to happen. So people need to kind of pump the brakes on that and let John Morant, now, if Morant gets hurt, I would even think that if he would not have played another game, he would still get the Rookie of the Year. Because of the body of work that he has. And what is it? Uh, how many games do we have left? we got to be close to 20 some odd games, if I do the math. You have 22 games left. As I'm looking at Memphis's record right now, they're 29-31. So 60 games, and I don't know if he's played in every one of these games, but even if he hasn't, let's say he's played 55, Zion, at the, when it's all said and done, he's probably going to play 35 games. So you mean to tell me Zion's going to be more deserving, even if Ja weren't to play another game, and then Zion were to, Go on this rampage here over the last six weeks of the season. And then right away, oh, you got to give it to Zion? Uh, Give me a break. Nonsense. And then the other thing about these people coming out trying to compare LeBron's rookie year to Zion's rookie year, they need to find another line of work to do. Because there is no way that you could even think to compare Zion, who's played literally two handful of games, to LeBron's body of work in his rookie year back in the 2003-2004 season. It goes back to the whole wanted to get the hot take or to make the argument that Zion is certainly worthy of comparing not only rookie of the year stats against John Morant, but even LeBron James 17 years ago. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know what it is about people wanting to pop off and think that it's an actual storyline to compare the two knowing that Zion has been in the league five minutes and played in these games for like 20 minutes. And for to make these comparisons, it's just silly. It's a waste of time. I'm not the guy that's going to be on here to think, oh, yeah, well, when you look at his stats and his percentage rate. Is, I know. Go somewhere else with that because you're not going to find that here. And I think a lot of people will agree, whether you're the young sports fan or the older sports fan like myself, to think that there's no way that those two should be in the same sentence. So I just needed to get my two cents off of that because that just irked me to no end, having to read about that or even hear about that earlier this weekend. People, please, I understand you may be desperate for some sports angles or for some fodder, sports chatter, some sort of debate, but that is just a terrible angle by any stretch. And I don't know what producer or what exec said that, yeah, that sounds like a hot take, let's go ahead and roll with that. No, that person needs to find something else better to do as well. So... So as we get through the league here, we talked about the Bucks, 52-8, and eight, winning six in a row. You can forget about the Raptors or even the Celtics for making a run as they now have a double-digit lead in the conference on both teams. As we said time and time again, Celtics and Raptors are going to be interesting from the standpoint of who's going to have the home court for that second round if they do happen to play one another, and you would think that they will. So with the rest of the conference, it's pretty much been status quo. You're looking at Miami, Philadelphia. And Philly had an interesting game yesterday. No Ben Simmons, no Joel Embiid, who's out with his shoulder. And Embiid was up to his antics, too, at the end of a game with an interview. cursing at another team's player. And also, I think, flipping him off at the same time, which people could talk about him being mature. And he is just far from it. And just and I don't want to pick on him because I've done it so much already. And, and I'd just rather not go there right now. But the Sixers and Heat look like they're going to be... Uh, pretty much neck and neck to see who's going to have the home court in the first round, unless something happens where Indiana happens to catapult over both of them, considering that they're just a half game behind the Sixers and two games behind the Heat between the four and the six seeds. And then, of course, you have Orlando and Brooklyn battling it out for the final seed, where now Orlando. And if you're Orlando, you probably want to be a seven seed because you know that there's no chance you're going to win a First-round game against Milwaukee, and the same for Brooklyn, for that matter. And we know Brooklyn's had their own issues, we we talked about in weeks past. So that's what you have there. You can forget about everybody else in the East. And then out in the West, we've mentioned the Lakers, of course, and the Lakers are certainly looking well there with the five-and-a-half-game lead on both Denver and the Clippers. Clippers and Lakers will play next Sunday. That's your Sunday showdown game of the week there. So that's going to be uh, fascinating to see how those two teams perform because the last time they played – was on Christmas Day or Christmas night. And remember, they have to have the makeup game that they didn't play two days after the death of Kobe Bryant. And that's going to be, I believe, April 9th. So it'll be an interesting barometer to see how these two teams will match up considering they haven't played in now two and a half months. So then you have the Rockets who are certainly playing well. And the Rockets are a team. I know that they may bore some of you to tears with the ISO games and the million three-pointers. And now that they've gone small ball, which is amazing to think that nobody is 12 and 6-7 on the floor. But they've certainly played well. And Westbrook has been at an all-time proficiency rate when it comes to not taking as many threes. His field goal percentage has gone up. The whole team's play has certainly been reawakened, if for lack of a better word. That now they're looking to see if they can even try to push to get to a two-seed as they're just a game and a half behind Denver and the Clippers. So they've won, what now, six in a row. And we understand that in a seven-game series, Dan Toney, James Harden, and even Russell Westbrook will be figured out. Because as I've said on this podcast time and time again, I can't trust these guys as far as I can throw them. So that's something, though, to keep an eye out for considering that we only have about, what, five weeks left of this regular season. I said six weeks before, but it's roughly five as we're now into the month of March. Then you have Utah and OKC. Just a half game separates them for the five and six seed. And then Dallas and then Memphis... Now, everybody's looking at New Orleans bursting onto the scene considering what they've done here over the last couple of months. They're still three games behind the Memphis Grizzlies for the final spot in the West. I know it would be a lot more fascinating to may have New Orleans there as opposed to Memphis considering Zion. And even though Anthony Davis didn't play yesterday, but you have that uh, storyline with Anthony Davis going up against the Pelicans if that would happen. There's still plenty of time left. Let's see if New Orleans can inch a little bit closer to get that eighth seed But right now, even with John Moran and everything that he's done, who knows if uh, it's going to be enough for them to go on to finally make a postseason and see what they could do in the first round. And it would be a good experience for both teams. I think it would be good for Memphis, even though Memphis is not really on the basketball map as far as a fan base, as far as any type of relevancy is concerned. And that's not a disrespect to the organization or even John Moran for that matter. But I'm sure a lot of the NBA fans want to see New Orleans there, not only because of the obvious, But also because this could be the first step to them ascending in the NBA as far as the Western Conference is concerned, and even though it's still loaded, and they still have a lot of teams to leapfrog over as far as being relevant, but knowing that they have the bonafide superstar and they have the young core, I think a lot of people would want to see them in the postseason, even if they get swept out of the building, whether it's in LA or even in New Orleans, but just knowing to get that playoff experience under the belt would certainly be a good building block for this team and of course the one young Zion Williamson so that's pretty much what you have there in the NBA and in the bottom after New Orleans you know, Sacramento and San Antonio are still in the mix there they are all tied with New Orleans and three games behind Memphis but a lot of people think that even with Popovich there as a coach and Sacramento they do have some young talent a lot of people think that they are not, not going to be able to make a push to get to that final seed so Although they're still in the standings and you can't count them out just yet, but I know a lot of people are looking at it as more as New Orleans and Memphis trying to get that final eighth seed there out west. And I know for a couple of weeks I've been uh, meaning to give you the over-unders up until this point, and they are very ugly. But real quick, I had at the beginning of the year, Philadelphia 54.5 as an over, Atlanta 33.5 as an over. Indiana, 46 and a half over. Charlotte, 23 and a half as an under. And the other two unders were Washington and Utah. And as of right now, they're all on the brink. I don't. I could either be 3 and 3, which is awful. I could possibly be 0 oh and 6, which would just be, I might as well not even do these anymore. But when you look at the standings real quick. Now, Philadelphia, everybody thought at the beginning of the year, this team would win 54 games in their sleep. And as we see right now, they are not going to do so when you look at their record. What is it? I believe they're, what, 35 and 24? which is a disgrace. Oh, 37 and 24. So pretty much they're going to have to run the table in order for me to get this number. So if I do the math real quick, so at 61, 34, so they'd have to go, they'd, pretty much they'd have to lose three games from here on out, which is awful. And then Utah, like I said, there's an also 54 and a half over. I may win that, but who knows if they have a hot streak ahead of them. remains to be seen. You know, Charlotte, they're going to push that number. Washington, that's really close. Atlanta, now they've been playing better as of late, but they had such a putrid start that there's no way for them to come back. So that's an automatic loss. Uh, yeah, these over-under numbers are just pathetic. And I got to put myself out there, make myself accountable. And for those who I'm sure they probably forgot or said, ah, look, Jay reels is sweeping them under the rug. No, I'm bringing it to you guys' attention right now. And, uh, yes, it's certainly not looking pretty as far as my over-unders are concerned. So, We'll revisit these at the end of the season, and hopefully I'll get to 500. And that is not even a moral victory, to say the least, in J. Real's eyes. So that's what we have as far as the NBA is concerned. Now to turn our attention to the college circuit, you've had some more top seeds go by the wayside here, which certainly makes things a lot more interesting. But as we go through it here, Baylor loses again, this time to TCU. So that's two of the last three games that they've lost. We Of course, remember we rehashed last week what happened with Kansas there. Down in Waco, but this time they lose to the to Texas Christian uh, Horn Frogs or Frog Horns. I got that backwards, maybe. Where the guard Desmond Bain had 19, there was 23 points after the half, including the final eight points as their team went on an 18 to one run. So Baylor, for whatever the reason, thought they had the game in the bag. They mailed it in. So Baylor loses a tough one. What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Do they not make a one seed? Chances are they probably will considering the body of work unless they just implode during the conference championship week. But Baylor will still be in good shape to possibly get a one seed. But you had another upset there with one of the top seeds there, including Baylor, who, as we all know, has been a pretty much number one throughout the whole college basketball year, or at least for the start of the year. Because you had a a lot of number ones fall there from November to about New Year's Day. You had Florida State losing to Clemson. As we go through the list here, Duke losing once again, and we all know Duke's not that dominant team that we've come to know and love for some of us because I cannot stand Duke, but what's weird about Duke and what's weird about this college basketball season, Duke could be that type of team where they may not make it to the Sweet 16, but at the same time, would you be surprised if they make it to a Final Four? Absolutely not. So that's what you have there with Duke. I could see them making a deep run considering college basketball is so wide open this year, and it's very unpredictable. But uh, Duke, as we all know, People will look and see how they're going to shape up in a bracket when that comes out two weeks from tomorrow, or two weeks from yesterday, I should say. And before you know it, you're going to see them in the Elite Eight, and you're going to see them cutting down the nets in whatever region chances are in the East, and I believe it's at the Garden this year. Would you be surprised if Duke made it to a Final Four, considering this has not been a vintage Duke team? Absolutely not. Then you have Michigan State beating Maryland. Maryland. How about St. John's? Give it up to them. Creighton gets blown out 91-71 behind 7-3 pointers by Greg Williams Jr. So St. John's, who certainly had nothing to cheer about. So kudos to the Red Storm. And as we look through college basketball, and as I said last week, and here we are now with the rankings, you figure Baylor's going to probably take a step or two back. Right now, Kansas will be your number one, as we know. Gonzaga will probably move up, as well as Dayton. As they won yesterday. So Baylor will probably go to four. Where Gonzaga and Baylor will be your two and three. San Diego State will probably hover around there. Then FSU and Duke will take a couple notches back. Kentucky will move up. Maryland will move down. So will Creighton. So you would think Louisville, Villanova, and maybe Seton Hall will crack the top ten. Where you'll have probably Duke. Maybe between eight and ten. Maryland and Creighton will be out of the top ten. So you'll probably have Louisville and Villanova move up. And... If I had to guess right now, your top four seeds in the region will be Kansas, Gonzaga, Baylor, and who knows, it could be Dayton or San Diego State. Now, San Diego State only has one loss, so people may look at that and say they, they're they more deserving than Dayton is. Now, we have, of course, two weeks until that will be revealed, but for those who are already looking forward as we're now into March, and looking forward to the tournament. I'm sure a lot of people are trying to speculate which teams will grab those top four seeds. But again, we won't uh, know until then, and certainly we'll break it down two weeks from today. The whole tournament, you'll get all my predictions, Final Four, etc., National Champion. You're going to get it all here, so uh, definitely stay tuned for that, as we'll uh, touch on the tournament two weeks from this very moment. All right, now let me turn my attention to the ice before I get into the hybrid NFL, XFL, some baseball, my hero in zero of the week, and of course, give you the new platform that the J-Rolls podcast will be coming on. That will be later on, but we'll turn our attention to the ice where last week, the Islanders, as we talked about for weeks on end, they needed to get a scorer in the worst way, and they did get one in the trade that they have with the Senators, bringing in the goal scorer, Peugeot, who has had a very big year. He's a guy that has what, 26 goals, 27 goals, I believe, as of right now. And here's a guy who has certainly blossomed this year to the tune where the Islanders gave up a first and second round pick of this year's draft and possibly a third depending on where the Islanders fall. That's, uh, I believe, whether they make the playoffs or not or if they win a couple rounds, whatever it may be. Now, at the time, I thought it was very risky, but here's a guy who's had his coming out party this year and then to the tune to where they gave him a six-year deal. I thought to myself that, there was no way that the Islanders had to let him go. So this was a trade that they had to make to bring in a guy that could certainly put the puck in the net, that could enhance this offense. As we all know, they go through these stretches where it's from hunger. But the one thing, and I Lamarella knows what he's doing, the GM president of hockey operations for the Islanders. He knows a lot better than, what, than me as far as how to run a team. But when it comes to bringing a guy like this onto your team, who has shown some leadership, too, in that Ranger game where not only he scored a goal, but he also got into a fight, sticking up for one of his players on that one check, which was a legal check. And I get that in this day and age, a lot of people are going to look at that check and gasp, oh my goodness, that's a penalty, or with the safety of the game, et cetera. But as far as Peugeot's concerned, I get that this was a deal that Lula Morello and the Islanders had to make, and they, of course they had to sign the guy. They couldn't let him go in free agency because that just would have been a disaster. But... It's a little risky from this regard because it's not as if he's had a bunch of years where he's done this. This is his first real year where he's doing it, and he's still young. He's coming into his own. We get that. And I'm not knocking the deal by any stretch, but with the Islanders, they've had all this bad luck with these guys, whether it's Alexi Yashin coming in. I mean, Michael Pekka did show, now I'm going back to 2001, 2002, but they've brought on these players where either they've had success elsewhere, and when they have come here, they haven't had that same exact success and here it's the opposite where the success is coming now and you only hope that you're going to see that moving forward but it's risky because this is a guy that I need to see it more than once and he scored another goal there the other night against St. Louis now they certainly have not played well since the trade they've already lost three games in a row they're flailing now here in this Eastern Conference where the Flyers have certainly shot up the charts here winners of six in a row including back to back against the Rangers over the weekend and the Rangers, of course, have done very well, and they're certainly making a surge as well. But the Islanders, real quick, you just wonder if this trade is going to pay dividends down the road. And I get, why worry about that now? Just get through the season, worry about the six years later. And I get, Lou Amorello, he knows a, lot, a hell of a lot more than I do, but I just wonder if this is going to be the guy that's going to be the face of your franchise over the course of the next six years and be able to be that guy who's, and dare I even say, a Mike Bossy a Pat LaFontaine, a Brian Trottier, even a Pierre Turgeon. So, to me, uh, I'm not, I'm mixed from the regard of I need to see more and I need to see more body of a work. But I get that they had to sign him to a long-term deal. I'm not killing the trade by any stretch. And so far he's done well here in his first week as an Islander. But between the Flyers and the way they played and even the Rangers coming on strong, you wonder if this is going to be a season that started out so promising where the Islanders were had a game where they had 16 straight games where they had a point and had a long winning streak. Well, right now, they are certainly flailing. And as we go through both of these conferences, we'll start with the East. We know the Bruins, of course, have played well, and they look like they may be going on to a President's Trophy for what that's worth, and we talked about that uh, ad nauseum here. Uh, the President's Trophy is almost a curse to win because generally the Stanley Cup winner does not win the President's Trophy year in and year out. Just ask Tampa Bay last year. But the Bruins... Leaders of the Atlantic, seven points ahead of uh, Tampa, who since then have, uh, they still played well, cooled off a little bit after an 11-game winning streak. And then you have Toronto there, your top three in the Atlantic. The Capitals still have a lead there over the now Flyers. Because remember, with this stretch, they've leapfrogged over the Penguins to the tune of 83 points to the Capitals' 86. And then the Penguins, like I mentioned, we talked about this earlier where these teams have these stretches. And you wonder... If the Penguins had peaked, coming back from pretty much rising from the dead, coming back into the playoff picture to the point where they were just two points and tied last week in that game against Washington for first place in the Metropolitan. And since then, they've just fallen on hard times. Have not played well, and they made a big trade themselves, bringing in Patrick Marlowe, the longtime San Jose Shark. So we'll see if that's going to give them a boost here down the stretch and into the postseason. But the Penguins certainly not playing well. And then the Islanders now with 78 points, tied with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they're just three ahead of the Carolina Panthers, four ahead of the Rangers, and five ahead of the Florida Panthers. So you have all those teams in the mix there in the Eastern Conference, so the Islanders are going to continue to hang on. The only plus that the Islanders have right now is that they have a lot of games in hand with some of these other teams. So Columbus, they have three games in hand where Columbus already played 67 to the Islanders 64. They have a game in hand against both the Capitals and Flyers, a game in hand against the Rangers, so they're in good shape in that regard, but they certainly have to pick up their play if they want to not only make it as a wild card, but hopefully get in as one of the top three in the Metropolitan. We'll continue to keep our finger on the pulse there. Out West, Vegas has certainly played well. Although they lost a couple nights ago, but Vegas is certainly a team that as we've seen two years ago, and then even with them firing Gerard Gallant earlier this year, or just a couple months ago, certainly played well to the point where they're starting to get a little bit of separation out west with Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and now Nashville, who have catapulted over Winnipeg. Because remember, those top five out west had all the wild card teams, including the first, second, and third place teams in the Pacific, St. Louis, Colorado, and... Dallas are your top teams there. And even though St. Louis, who have won seven in a row, but Colorado has certainly followed suit with six wins in a row in their part. So they're certainly looking to see if they could get the top spot there out in the Central Division, and which would also mean for the whole conference because Vegas is 80 points right now would be your two seed. And then you have, let's see. And I know the way the seedings and the playoffs are a lot different, so maybe Vegas isn't a two seed, so I have to retract that. It's just weird how they have the – they should just go back to 1-8 to as opposed to breaking it down by division. I understand it going a little old school. If you remember back in the 80s when you had the old Patrick division, the Adams division, the Smythe, to me that's when hockey was hockey, not to get off on that note, but with the way the conferences are now, it's certainly broken down by the divisions. But we'll see. Arizona, Minnesota, those teams are still in the hunt as those teams at the bottom between Nashville, Winnipeg, Arizona, Minnesota are separated by one point. And that's for the fifth or the second wild card, I should say, out west. So NHL is going to get interesting. Wild, wild west isn't as wild as it was a few weeks ago, but still got to pay attention to that. And obviously in this neck of the woods, we certainly got to keep our eye on what's going to happen here with the Islanders. Will they fall? And listen, if they do not make the playoffs this year, it will be an utter disaster. Will heads roll? You can't fire Barry Trotz off this. And you're certainly not going to fire Lula Morello. But it would be a crushing blow to a team that has certainly played well for the most part this year. And now they're starting to lose a little bit of steam. Even with the Pajot trade, hopefully he could be able to be the guy that's going to say, Hey, get on my back. I'm going to carry you on my shoulders and take you to the promised land. So let's hope that's the case for us Islander fans. And the one thing I got to, speaking of which, knowing that they're going to have all their playoff games at the National Coliseum is a bonus now, we understand it's a relic. They've also made some renovations to the place, which still is not up to NHL standards, but just knowing that their whole postseason run is going to take place at the Coliseum is certainly going to be a plus for them because of the old acoustics, and obviously they call it the old barn. So that's a plus, so hopefully that could carry them. If that's going to win them some playoff games, then hey, so be it, as opposed to playing in the Barclay Center. And then next year, all games will be at the National Coliseum, which is also a plus because now they could finally put that building out go into the final year because the Belmont project, which the new arena will be built for what? 21, 22. So they'll move into their new arena right near the Belmont racetrack here, pretty much in the backyard of the five boroughs and have the Islanders go out the way they should. Not the way it once did back what was in the 2015 season before they moved to Barclays. And we all know that this has been a disaster back and forth and with the fan base and people not really showing up to the games out in Brooklyn. So, I'm glad that they did it this way, and it was a smart thing to do, so not only will they have the postseason games there, but also play the whole season there next year, and then they can close the building out right, and hopefully it'll be even nicer if they close it out with a Stanley Cup, but that's obviously for down the road. Here, let's talk about the present, and right now the present is not looking good for the Islanders, so they certainly got to pick up their play. Now let's turn our attention to both football. We'll do a hybrid combo here with the NFL and XFL. Well, the free agent hype machine has begun, and the... Season isn't open for business until, I believe, the 16th. So two weeks from today, or maybe it's the 18th. One of those two days. So you still have a couple of weeks before the NFL offseason raises its curtain for free agents to go wherever their destination may be. And, of course, the biggest name of all that is the one Thomas Edward Brady. Now, a lot of people are trying to speculate and think and wonder where Tom Brady's next destination will be. I know Jeff Darlington, ESPN, had come out and said that it's a foregone conclusion that he's not going to be back in New England. I didn't get to read the article, but to me right now, what is the best situation for him? Is it Tennessee with Mike Vrabel considering they have a running game and they got to take care of Derrick Henry in the process and a pretty good defense knowing that they were one win away from going to a Super Bowl this year? Is it to the Raiders in Las Vegas, where they're opening up a new building, a new era, John Gruden, is Brady going to be enough for them to rise, not only in the AFC West, but to be of any relevance to the old-time Raider fan? Is it to go to LA, to the Chargers, to sell PSLs, to be the face of a franchise for two years, considering that Phillip Rivers looks like he's going to be on his way to Indianapolis? Is it going to be to Tampa, knowing that Jameis Winston, they have a decision on him, and chances are they may not bring him back. So could Brady, with the likes of Mike Evans and Godwin and OJ Howard and a very good offense, can he be the final piece to bring Tampa back to a Super Bowl for the first time in almost 20 years? As of right now, to me, his best situation is New England, although it's looking like that's not going to be the case. But until I see otherwise, I think he's going back to New England. Now, that is probably the most boring, I hate to use the word hot take, but really, is he going to go to any one of those situations? To me, I think the best fit for him would be to go to Tennessee. And why not? He'll play with Vrabel, a guy that he was pretty close with in his days with New England. A team that has a running back. He doesn't have to do too much. Remember, he's only 43 years of age. It's not as if he has a lot of more strikes in that right arm of his. I'm sure he has some, but we all know that fastball is not at 98. It's probably at 92 right now. And he does have some weapons down there with A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith. And they do have a decent offense. So having that quarterback could be the final piece with a good offensive line. That I think would be the best fit. Is that going to be the best fit for Tom? Nashville, Tennessee, to call us home for two years? Eh, I don't know. So to me, until then, I think he's going to stay in New England. Because there's just not another team. And then there were rumors about the Giants this week. Give me a break. I mean, whoever came up with that one, again, find something else to do. That will not happen in a zillion years. They just drafted a quarterback. Why would they even think about bringing in Tom Brady? So you have that. I know Joe Burrow said that he would play in Cincinnati if he would be to be chosen as a number one pick there for the Bengals, and that's good because the Bengals certainly need a quarterback with their new head coach, Zach Taylor. I know A.J. Green, they're going to franchise him, so you figure if they bring in the quarterback, and A.J. Green was out all last year with injuries, hopefully he could have a renaissance of sorts when it comes to playing with a new quarterback. I'm sure they are going to be some growing pains, but kudos to A.J. Green. I know he's the guy that said that he wanted to stick it out in Cincinnati. He didn't want to be that guy to bounce from team to team or go ring chasing, so big up to him. Dave Gettleman had come out here, the GM of the New York Giants, saying that they're open for business as well, but it's kind of hard to say that when you have the Detroit Lions ahead of them in the draft, and knowing that if you're Miami, if you're another team that's looking to get a quarterback, that they don't have to go to the Giants, they could just take one step up and go to you guys to get the surplus of picks, or to make that trade where it could be draft-defining, so... Dave Gettleman, for all of his, I'm not going to say his bravado, but for him saying, oh, open for business, we're going to trade the number four pick, or hey, who's going to want to give us the most sexiest package? Well, you have a team ahead of you that could blow you guys away. So if you're looking at the Dolphins, who are one slot behind you, all they got to do is go up two slots with all their number one picks, and they can say, forget the Giants, we'll go to number three. And chances are they're not going to draft a quarterback. they got Matthew Stafford in the fold. So I get that Gettleman had to say that, and he's trying to show the NFL landscape that hey guys come to me trade your picks to me but did he forget that they had a team that was just as bad as them that's one pick ahead of them that could pretty much say the same thing well that's gentlemen for you but the free agent hype machine as we get closer we'll talk more about it I understand that Philip Rivers may be the guy to go to Indy and you've heard some rumblings and rumors about players going to certain places but well that won't be official until we get that much more closer so let's start bringing up all the different scenarios where players may go and as we all know the NFL free agent is unlike any other so the NFL fan who's coming off the combine this week which again I spent no time on and I will not spend any time on because to me it is just useless so now the NFL fan could salivate and look ahead to where these free agents are going to go and uh, we're just two weeks away from that taking place as far as the XFL is concerned the Guardians there a couple days ago, uh, they had 12,000 in attendance, which was 5,000 less. I understand it was a chilly day. wasn't as cold as the opener there a few weeks ago when they played Tampa. The game was not bad. It was 17-14. Their quarterback played pretty good. Luis Perez, who took over from Matt McGloin, who had a rib injury that he suffered the week before. I believe it was against St. Louis. But for the Guardians, who now are 2-2 two and two and won both games at home for them to try to see if they could get their equilibrium back and make some noise in this uh, Eastern Division. I know it's funny just to even think about you know talking XFL, but here they are. They go on the road before they come back home the following week against Houston. And I believe, I don't even know who they played this week. That's a bad job on my part. But uh, I do find the football more entertaining than I ever thought it would be. Now, for a 17-14 game, there wasn't a lot of excitement. But it, you had the one big bet. There was one drop pass in the game that was just, uh, you couldn't even believe it. But the game isn't as sloppy as a lot of people may have thought it would be. It's entertaining at times. I love the kickoff rules. I said a couple weeks ago, if you haven't watched, you got to check it out. See for yourself. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. But the game, it's not bad. It's not. And you know what? If they could somehow, some way, just continue to make it better. And just have the level of play. It looks like it's even across the board. I understand you may have a couple of good teams. You know, D.C. and uh, Dallas, I believe, were your two teams that, or Houston, I should say, was uh, was undefeated coming into the weekend. So when you have some teams that certainly are, although it may be the same playing field, but at the same time, you're going to have teams that are better than others. That's just human nature. But uh, let's see, as we get now into week five, and it's only a 10-week season, As we get deeper into the season, we'll see how the attendance will be. We'll see if the game is progressing. Uh, To me, it's pretty much been on the same wavelength going back to week one. I don't know if the interest has waned a little bit amongst the fans. I got to find that out. I haven't really gotten a taste from other people as to them latching on to the XFL for the diehard football fan. That's something that I'll look ahead in the weeks to come. And I'll be out there in two weeks, so I'll get a better pulse and bring that to you two podcasts from now. But uh, XFL, again... It, it, it's if I had to say on a scale of 1-10 to 10, I may be generous in saying this but it's a 7 now listen it's not going to be anything close to the NFL you can't even compare it they're light years behind but at the same time it is not awful so that's my take there on the XFL quickly with the baseball thank God we don't have to worry about the Astros and the sign stealing nonsense or at least for this week I get if you want to look at the players, what was it, five players were hit, or I should say in five games, players were hit seven times with pitches, for what that's worth, I'm not going to get into that, I mean that's no big whoop, Uh, yes, is it alarming, is it something to maybe discuss, quite possibly, but until the games matter, until the games count, because I haven't watched any of these games, to me it's just a waste of time, I can't, I haven't watched one pitch of any innings of any of these games, and I'm not going to do so until the games count, and that's what, another three and a half weeks, so before you know it, the baseball season will be here. But the one thing I can talk about here, if you're a Yankee fan, for those who are wondering, for those who are worrying, let me pull you off the ledge right now. Your team is going to win 100 games by accident. There is no way that this team is not going to perform at its optimum level in 2020. And I get that Luis Severino is going to have Tommy John surgery, so you're not going to have him that all this year. Now you have Giancarlo Stanton, who I know that it's pretty much the Yankee fans' ire at this point as he has not been healthy now going back to last year and how now pretty much the start of this year, as chances are he may not even make it to Baltimore to open up the season. He has this calf injury. But the one big guy that I know that y'all, a lot of the Yankee fans are certainly wondering or worrying about is one Aaron judge where he has his shoulder injury where he's, for whatever reason, he can throw, but he can't swing a bat. He's it's been aggravating him. And I get a lot of people going to look at it. What is his off-season training program? Is he lifting too many weights? What is happening? I am not a trainer. I am not a strength and conditioning coach by any stretch of the imagination. Who knows if they need to scale back on these workouts? I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they need to increase their flexibility, range of motion, things of that nature, as opposed to trying to bench press nine thousand pounds or trying to curl four thousand pounds. I don't know. I can't put a finger on it, people. But I will say this: if you're going to look at this team as being a fail this year, you you need to get your head examined. This team's going to win hundred games in sleep. Now the Rays are going to be good in their division and the Red Sox, I'm not even going to even say they're a wild card, but the Red Sox are either going to win 83 or they may win 90 or they may win 75. But they're not going to contend with the Yankees in this division. Toronto is young, so they're going to be on the come up, but they're going to have their growing pains and you can forget about Baltimore. So if you're thinking that the Yankees are going to have this type of year where, oh, all these guys are going to be injured, what's going to happen? This team is made for October. That's it. So if you're even thinking about How this team's going to perform this year? Oh, geez, we're going to lose this guy. We don't have Stanton. We don't have Severino. Look at this starting lineup. I can't believe this pitching. We're going to have to get a pitcher in here. What is Cashman going to do? Relax. Why even, if you're even thinking about trading for a pitcher right now, as long as Garrett Cole is your man throughout the course of the year, forget about it. That's it. You can have me be the fifth starter, and the Yankees are going to be fine. Don't even worry about Stanton. I get that he makes all the money, and he's going to be a whipping boy to a certain degree. But at the same time, how could this team not win 100 games is beyond me? So you guys need to pipe down on that. So that's all I got there with the Yankees. As far as anything else, not not many news and notes. I know Chris Sale, he's going to be on the I.O. with pneumonia, although he faced some live pitching there yesterday. But he has this illness. Now, I know he's facing live pitching, but if he has this illness, why is he here going up against the batters in a simulated game? I don't know. I guess he's got to get his work in somehow. Well, good for Sale. And then the rest of the major leagues, again, I can't pay attention to any of these games, people. I'm sorry. That's just how I'm cut. I don't watch the NFL preseason. I'm not going to watch the NBA basketball preseason. I, I just, it, wake me up when the season starts. That's it. So we could just all put that to rest until the season starts. And we'll certainly keep our eyes on what's going to happen in baseball throughout the exhibition as far as any injuries, news notes, of that type of uh, material as we move along. All right, so let me wrap this up here, give you a little taste of my hero in Zero of the Week. My hero of the week, and this is going to be a surprise, people, is the one Scott Boris. Why Scott Boris? Well, he's going to fulfill a request from Rob Palenka, who is the Lakers GM VP of Basketball Operations, through Kobe Bryant, to bring on the teenage daughter of John Altabelli, of course, one of the nine people who perished in the helicopter crash there, with Kobe Bryant, Gianna, among the others. Uh, fulfill this request for the daughter to become an intern at the Scott Boris empire somewhere out in California to be an agent so to think I guess that's a no-brainer when you look at it from that regard but Scott Boris as everybody knows he's pretty much vilified amongst a lot of people in baseball but if you're going to be vilified obviously you're doing something right as far as his uh, clients and his Performance of bringing all these big contracts Whether your name is Garrett Cole, Anthony Rendon I don't have to go through the whole list And that's just this year So imagine in the past when he had A-Rod as his client Bryce Harper, etc Kudos to Scott Boris for doing that And again, I understand that may be a layup But he didn't have to do that But in light of the tragedy And him wanting to fulfill that request That's a good job on his part And then the zero Sadly, we got to stick to this particular theme The zero of the week of the LA deputies For allegedly sharing these photos of the helicopter crash. If that is the case, uh, these guys need to be not just suspended, they need to be fired. And I get people going to say, J Reels, who are you to tell these people that they need to be let go or fired? I mean, come on. How is this even possible to think that they took these photos and they were sharing them and that maybe they didn't know who was on board at the time, so maybe they were just doing that as part of the job. But just knowing that after the fact, when you found out who was on that helicopter and who crashed, and we get that Kobe Bryant's going to be the name front and center. But still, at that point, you got to hit the delete button, my guy. I mean, that is just a bad job on their part if that's the case. So they are going to get my zero of the week. So that will do it for this week's podcast, episode 116, almost in the books. One other thing that i like to share with everybody, a new platform for the J Reels podcast as I touch on every week as far as my social media is concerned. And you can, of course, follow me, whether it's on Instagram at J Reels, Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number, the J Reels Podcast on my Facebook fan page or an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please, any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, I'm certainly open to it. So you could contact me on any one of those, send me a DM, whatever it may be. But now to add to that, the J Reels Podcast also on Instagram. That's right. The J Reels Podcast is just going to be strictly sports. You're going to get some of my takes on there. I know on J Reels, I'll probably still. Add some stuff as far as sports and my Instagram stories and things of that nature, but the j Rose podcast is going to be obviously all about sports, all about what's happening throughout the course of a day, the week, etc., leading up into the next podcast. And then also, hopefully, to get that guest for my second anniversary, you'll be sure to find that out on that new platform. So go ahead, please give me a follow on that, as I'll be sure to keep you up to date on what's happening in the wonderful world of sports. And as I like to also say each and every week, people. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, if you haven't had a chance to do so, please. It's as simple as just a couple of steps. It'll literally take you one minute. If you could go to any of your podcast platforms wherever you certainly download or listen to them, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, etc., just go ahead and subscribe, leave a rating, post a review. What that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast amongst the plethora of podcasts that are out there, not even just sports, but overall. And in turn, hopefully that will increase the visibility, not only of this podcast, but also generate interest for those who aren't familiar with the J Reels podcast to attract guests, whether it be former athletes, current athletes, podcasters, even sports writers, bloggers, broadcasters, you name it. I want to get the whole gamut of sports people on this podcast. And as I said at the very top, being a one-man operation, trying to juggle all this it's certainly a tricky task, but at the same time, it's something that I love to do. So, by any means, it is not work. But at the same time, you know, it certainly does take a lot for me to do so. But uh, please, if you could go ahead and subscribe and do all those things, rate review, I'd be greatly appreciated. And thank you so much for listening to this episode and all the others that have been with me on board from day one. And for those of my new people who are following me now and moving forward i hope you come back for many many more as i love to discuss everything that goes on in the world of the diamond the world of the ice the world of the gridiron the world the hardwood the golf course racetrack tennis court you name it from my lips to your ears from my heart to your soul from where i am to wherever you are the j reels podcast always comes correct direct and in full effect from the south bronx the south beast to south central to south pacific and all points beyond peace love and god bless everybody and until next time on the j reels podcast on the flip baby